having a bad day. I guess we're going to talk about it. Feelings. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and ProfitWell's Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product-first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about founder scaries. This is a weird thing to say. I don't know if I choose to be happy, and I don't know if I want to. I think I'm kind of happy when I'm miserable. MailChimp. If you're commenting and you have no business to comment about this, your comment does not effing matter. Red teaming. Things aren't problems until they're problems, and if you're trying to catch something early, you should have caught it early. And aggressive opinions. You might have a different opinion about things in the news or in the outside world than people in the company. What's up, Patrick? How's it going? I am joining you after my third workout of the day, which I am not a bastion of fitness, but I've had a rough day. Rough day is unfair because I've had real rough days. This is like a fake rough day, but it kind of feels like a real rough day. Here's the situation. There's stuff going on at ProfitWell that's high priority. We had one of our best sales days ever today, which is really frustrating because I'm having a bad day. And like I'm on edge because there's things we're not doing that I know we could do well at and would help us, but they're not the biggest impact thing to do. And then there's people doing these things. And I'm like, ah, we could do it better. We could do better. And it's all wrapped up in like noise. So just to explain, like it's a lot of stuff going on on Twitter and they're not even like competitive to us or anything, but I'm like, why is that doing well? Why is that doing well? We could do better than what they're doing with well, right? And it's just one of those things where it's like the noise is getting to me. The noise of like, you know, I caught myself. I normally am not like a, oh, reopen Twitter, reopen Twitter, reopen Twitter, like kind of person. But I found myself reopening Twitter a lot and like didn't even a lot. And it's just like one of those things where it's a vulnerable position to be in because you're like just listening too much to the noise, I guess. So yeah, I don't know where to go from here. But basically like the noise is getting to me and I know it shouldn't, but it's there. And I know you've had days like this. We all have days like this. And so I just want to throw it out there. All I do on those days is think about, try to figure out how to think about all the things that are going on in my company. Because basically what you're talking about is external, right? And it's external noise, and that's why you call it noise, and it has nothing to do with your company. And, you know, the pithy way is like, well, do I control any of that? No, they're going to do what they're going to do. Whoever it is that's going to do it. And then there's an aspect of FOMO, where you kind of like feel like you're missing out on what they're doing if what they're doing is dope, even if they're not really a competitor, smaller, whatever way you want to think about it. And I think that's easy to get these days because there's so much noise. So many people doing things, so many different things that are happening. And at the end of the day, that ain't your shit. That's someone else's completely. You know what it is, I think, too, is a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, I don't want to call anyone out because everyone's very lovely doing it. Part of me thinks I don't respect that it's working. And I fear that that's where awareness and marketing is going. So I fear that this thing that I don't appreciate it's not like a values or moral thing. It's just I don't appreciate non-substantive things going viral. Even though I, I understand why it goes viral, I understand why it makes sense, but it's like it feels like, oh, the market's rewarding the wrong thing. And it's unfair for me to say wrong, but it's like I don't appreciate it and I fear that that's what's going to be required. And maybe there's some like underlying subconscious fear of like, oh, that's where we're going to have to go and that kind of sucks, which I know is not real or fair or right even. There's something there that I, I, I just realized. And it makes it sound so dramatic. We're talking about freaking tweets. <laughs> and then I get mad at myself for, for being affected by the noise of this. Yeah. Yeah. But we latch onto these things, right? And like they ruin our days and like, yes, that doesn't need to happen, but like it's normal and it happens a lot. 
and you got to find a way to shake it. And, and for me, it's usually getting to the bottom of it. What's bothering me? What are we not doing that makes me bothered by this? It's not usually what they're doing that I want to be doing. It's something else. You know what's really funny about it, though, is that there's a lot of founders that I know are like me in this way, where it's the insane insecurity and insane vulnerability. You use that energy to like cycle forward and you use that energy to kind of go a little crazy. And then all of a sudden, the other end of it is a really good idea or a really solidified like plan that's really strategic and works really well. And so now, like but I told you're not Faku there today, yet. You're not exactly. there yet. You're struggling. Yep. I know. Well, this. when I told Faku, and then what kind of helped me get through it was like, I was like, yeah, man, I'm just, you know, I know I should be happy today. We launched a new product, all this other crazy stuff. But like, I don't know. I just like, I, I feel this, but I know that this is the feeling I have where in three days I'm already going to go. Cause this is where like our whole media strategy came from that we get a lot of like credit for and all this other stuff. And it's like, we did it years ago, right? And the reason we had it, I have so much anxiety over like, oh, like what is the path of our marketing? I got to hire, like, do I hire I remember this, this path, this path, all this other stuff. And then it was like research, struggle, whiteboard, coalescing, norming, norming, norming. All right, execute the plan, right? And it's like, yeah, I think I'm just at the the storming stage. And like even you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, it's like, some of the things you said, and, and I think the biggest thing, I'm going to steal your thunder. Go for is, it. Is, you know, just back to the customer, man. The biggest thing that helped me is you said it and Faku said it today was just like, our customer, at least from our current understanding, does not care about this. So this would be just dopamine for us if we do it. Now, there's a chance that the customer we will care about in the future cares about this. They do care about it, and therefore we want that customer in the future. But that's not the current, like... 12 to 36 months. It's the underlying thing where like we've uh, figured out these couple layers and we've gotten some of those layers talking to each other finally, which is great. And now it's like time to add another layer. And we're doing these two layers in parallel right now. We're working on demand gen seriously for the first time. We've done little stuff. And then there's this other layer of like, do we go this route, this route, or this route? And this is a possible route. And maybe this is my mind or my body telling me like, no, that's not the right route. That's not the right route. You have anxiety over it, but it's not the right route. So I don't know. I'm having a therapy session of one. You're just my mirror here, and I'm just going to talk through it myself, basically. That works. I used to have that workflow, and what I realized is if something's bothering me, I can just figure out what's bothering me. I don't need to go through a journey, and that's because of one simple reason. I want to be happy, and if I'm not happy... Something's bothering me and I don't want to remain in that state perpetually and get myself to think I need to be in that state to have a brilliant insight. Yeah. And so when I get that feeling, I try to figure out what is it really about? And I try to ask myself, what am I really frustrated about? Because it's usually not about what someone else is doing. It's about what we're not doing but it's also not necessarily about what we're not doing that they're doing. It's more like we're not doing something in this category of work. And I think we should be. And it takes me, it does take me a while sometimes to get to what is that, but I try to just get to the heart of it. Cause then the insight comes from the heart of it. Cause there's something rooted in there. So I try to get through the struggle in a different way. Cause it's easy to get stuck in the struggle and do what you're doing. Like work out three times, think it's going to take a few days. We're going to feel like this. And for me, it's not just about speed. It's about clarity. So you're not clear. So I just focus on what am I really, 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 really bothered about? 
What is not going the way I want it to? What are we not doing that we should be doing in my opinion? What is it that I have not figured out from a strategy standpoint that I'm stuck on? And I think those are the things that I think we talked about it earlier. We actually came to something pretty good because I think you're stuck on something more important than what's directly related to that, which is basically there's a type of customer you want, not the one you don't want. And the reason I'm saying that is like, I think we distract ourselves from our real problems by getting excited about what other people are doing. And what I mean by excited is like, we should be doing that or what the heck is that? Or like, what's going on with that campaign, their campaign or their thing. And at the end of the day, that doesn't matter what's going on with your thing. What is it that you're trying to like achieve that's bothering you? And the weirdest thing I found about this is that whatever I'm bothered by, like specifically that's out there in the world is not necessarily hundred percent correlated and directly related to what I need to be doing that I want to be doing that would make me not be frustrated about whatever. And what I mean is there's not always a direct connection. Typically there's not. And it's just about some frustration I have about my own business and it's manifesting and triggered by what other people are doing. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. This is a weird thing to say. I don't know if I choose to be happy and I don't know if I want to. I I think I'm kind of happy when I'm miserable. I know, and that's a very bad founder, entrepreneur, business person problem. And we all need to solve it. It is not a good thing. We should not accept that as okay. The reason I say that is these days I'm more happy and I make that my choice and everything is better. Every damn thing, dude. Because I just make the choice. It's not even I get up in the morning and make the choice. I have made the choice. Not today, not yesterday. I just made the choice. And it's just the only way I'm going to take this stuff. So my history, you know, abuse kid, all that kind of fun stuff. That's not fun stuff. You don't need to say that. It's more like... I get it. It is kind of funny. Like whenever I talk about it, I always crack jokes about it. And that's the classic like... I know. But you're my friend, so I'm not, I'm not going to let you go there. Not easily. But I, I get it. I get it. You can keep going. We can move on. You did the right thing there. The other thing is, is like when someone's going through trouble or they explain a trouble, I am of the opinion that saying I'm sorry is like the worst thing that you can say. Not because the sentiment is bad, but because it forces the person to go, oh, it's okay. And then it's like, you're not the freaking person dealing with it. It's the person that's dealing with it. And it's hard to find an alternative. I'm always like, hey, man, that sucks. What do you want me to help with? You know? Yeah. I have the same intention as you, but the way I do it is if I hear a friend say something like you just did and try to deflect something bad and make it sound like it's something good, I just say, no, it isn't. No, you did the right thing. That's what I'm saying. Like you did the equivalent of me, like not saying I'm sorry or whatever. Yeah. I just go like, no, it isn't. Like, no, I think that's right. Let's not beat around the bush, right? Like I care about you. You don't need to think that about yourself. But anyway, I get it. We can move on. (laughs) I think what that created was like, not clinically, I'm going to use some words that are a little more clinical, but like- Sure, go ahead. It's okay. You know, booms and busts, manic, not depressive. I don't want to go that far. I understand. I don't want to take away from those people. But like, it created this like, not only don't tell me I can't, but also like the self-hate is good. The self-hate gets you. And I had, and I mentioned him on the podcast before, and I, I haven't talked to him probably in like 10 years, but- Best manager I ever had, this guy named Duran DeWin, who when I was at Google, he was the manager that like no one wanted because they were like, well, he's not like the numbers guy who's like the aggressive sales guy who then will help you get promoted. You know, he's Durand, right? And he was like that. A lot of people didn't realize that. He's actually really good at that stuff. But he was also, the reason he got that reputation is like he cared about you. And you knew it. Yeah. And he was the first person who was like, hey, there's a different way. 
And there was a book, I can't remember, I have the book at home. It was like on appreciation and like there was a four quadrants or something. And it was basically, you wanted it to be obviously be in the upper right-hand quadrant. That's the classic thing. But the basic idea was you want to find positive fuel. Like negative fuel works, but negative fuel is like, it's the cortisol. It's the stuff that's released with those two different things, right? Like, yeah, and stuff it has is released. dopamine, cortisol, right? Like, so which one do you want to go after? I'm all for the dopamine, bro. Like, give me that. Give me more of that. Let me produce more of it. I don't need any of that cortisol. I don't need that stuff that's like protecting me from stress. I'm good. And the reason I gave you this really long preface was because I've been on the journey to not, oh, I chose happiness. It's I'm going to choose to allow this not to take me too high or take me too low, Right. And I found myself, like, I think four or five years ago, I would be on edge like I am now, but I would be on edge and snipey and like... Manic. A version of manic. I know that. I would let it affect you let my it relationships. You convos. Yep, yep, yep. It was funny because I was driving from the gym to back here to record. Nice little flex, you know, uh, going to the gym. You didn't run to the gym? You didn't like jog to the no, gym? Man. Like, come on, man. I'm disappointed. It is actually pretty runnable, but I need sure to get my is. full workout in. There you go. Before, okay. And I only had a short amount of time, but thanks for eating for not encouraging me. But long story short, it was one of those things where I found myself getting aggravated because like the parking thing didn't work. And then like I was trying to drive and I got a little road raging and I was like, oh, like this is like. PC of four or five years ago coming back a little bit. I didn't like swear at anybody, but it's funny because like when I started noticing that I knew I was getting a little more intense than I, I have in a while and because in Utah, like everyone's so nice. Everyone's like, oh yeah, go ahead, go in and you know, like and the only people who like cut you off or stuff are typically out of state. So anyways, long story short, the choosing the happiness thing I think is is still something I'm not there yet. And I don't know if I'm actively working towards it, but it's something to think about. Your transition seems to be happening though. If you're going to go from I'm going to be even keel all the time and try to aim for that. And then the next level is literally, it's going to be happy because there's no reason not to be. Sometimes as dumb as like, hey, Patrick, just smile more. Even when you feel like you can't, just Don't do tell it. a woman that because that's not allowed. It's a bad thing. You don't know about this? I don't care because I think everyone should smile more. Like, No, I know. I understand the woman thing actually, but I'm speaking to a generic audience. So. No, no, no. I got you. I was yeah, just but I, and I understand what you mean. No, 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 no. I, I know that one. I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I also remember like the first time someone, when I said that, I was in, I think I was in high school. Maybe there's a subconscious patriarchy reason I said it, but there was like legit like, oh no, I just want you to be happy. Like, you know, it was like something and they were like, oh, like it was a big feminist thing. I was like, oh, sorry. I didn't know. Like anyways, but the thing I was going to say is that the transition comment is true because you've known me a long time. You've known like the people I know also a long time. Like, and like, you remember me talking to you about like, just the out and out arguments Faku and I would have, like our, our head of product. This is the reason I'm bringing this up because I think a lot of the reasons that people are on edge and people like get snippy, especially in the early stage, is about trust. And part of that is alignment. Well, alignment helps with the trust, I think. But I know with Faku and I, like if we we post mortem and we haven't had an argument in like two years, like which is insane. Like we have like debates, but no like argument where we're like, we're clearly not talking about the thing we're talking about. We're talking about something else. And by the end of this, we will get to it. It was always like post-morteming. It's like, it's a trust thing. And I noticed that too in other people now, when we stop talking, I know I haven't like done anything snipey or aggravating, but we stop talking about the thing we're talking about. And we start talking about the form or the tone and all this other stuff. And that's when I know when I, assuming I know I've been you know, uh, right in terms of my tone. That's when I know like, oh, we're, ha we're having a trust conversation now. And that's, that's what's helped me like 
calm people down and also obviously not meeting their energy level. So I don't know, food for thought for everybody. Hopefully it's a good one. You can commiserate. You want to talk about MailChimp? Yeah. And how it was apparently a terrible outcome for the Atlanta ecosystem. Honestly, this was really annoying. I kind of see the point. And for those of you who don't know, MailChimp, 100% bootstrap company. That means they've never raised any outside funding. They sold for $12 billion to Intuit. Uh, obviously a great outcome for a company that has never raised money. And the thing with being bootstrap, as most listeners will know, is like you typically don't give out equity. Some bootstrap companies do give out equity, like we give out equity. But when there isn't heavy equity, when there's a giant exit like this, theoretically there aren't a bunch of you know people uh, with now large sums of money to write angel checks. And so the point that someone was making was basically like, oh, it's so sad for the ecosystem that this money is going to be so concentrated. And there's some other details that I'm sure you'll bring up and to retort this, but that's the background and it was very annoying. I have no retorts here on that. No? Or any, any Do you of agree things. with that or no? You know, I'm going to say something and like, it's how I feel. So many people that have no business commenting on it are commenting on it. And that's the world we live in. Nothing against anyone commenting either. I'm just saying... If you're commenting and you have no business to comment about this, your comment does not effing matter. And that's where I'm at. And I say it a little angry because I'm like, I have to read this crap. It's just around. And people are complaining about things that don't matter. I don't know. I've met Ben Chestnut. I've met his co-founder. I've seen the little skateboard office that his co-founder has because the co-founder was a skateboarder or is a skateboarder or something. I don't remember too much. I've toured their office. I've hung out with him. I've had lunch or dinner with him. I don't remember uh, he invited me over there to hang out and it was for a conference and he gave me the royal treatment as close as it gets. And this was many years ago. That guy's got heart, man. And that guy's got an opinion. And he like never wanted to talk to VCs. And it's not that he hated them. It's just like, I don't care. And that was his thing. And honestly, this company did the best they possibly could considering all the different things they knew and didn't know. And they made some real big mistakes from a culture standpoint too more recently. And when I dug into why they made them, I realized what it was. <laughs> but that's a different story. So I think about all this stuff. I have some personal one-on-one -on -one experience with Ben. I'm not his best friend. He, he's like, you know, someone I know. But like the thing is, like if you're an employee and you work there and you think you should have got more, I understand. Tweet about it. Fine. Like, I'm not talking about those people, although you can have opinions about whether they... I don't know if that really happened. It was more... I don't think it people. did. I don't yeah. think it did because everyone knows what they were getting into. It'd be different if people didn't know what they were getting into when they got the jobs. And that that's the thing. Like, yeah, I get the Atlanta ecosystem, this, that, and the other. I get all these things that people are saying. But you know what matters now? What does Ben do? That's it. It doesn't mean I have an opinion of him investing yeah. in the ecosystem or anything. All I'm saying is, if you have a gripe now... All of a sudden, Ben and his co-founder have a lot of money. Not a little bit of money. A lot of money. But is that your money? Is that your money to do something with? How can you say anything about this? I don't get it. Like, again, that's my take. And I usually don't share, like, the most edgy or aggressive take I would have. But, like, I don't understand. Can we just be happy? A self-funded company got sold for $12 billion to one of the largest public companies on the planet. That's it. That's the story. And like I said, respect to anyone that wants to complain that worked there and didn't get what they thought was fair. Fine. But again, like you said, I don't think I've seen much of that here, if any. So why is it our business to judge anything about what that company did and how they did it? It's because the peanut gallery is on Twitter and the peanut gallery is, is ready to pounce on anything 
that they feel like they can have an opinion about, which anyone can have an opinion about anything. But the thing is, at the end of the day, it's none of your business. Like, what are we what are we talking about? I'm only interested in this riff, this difference of opinion, not between you and me, but this whatever, you know, this group has said, because I, I think I care about truth in terms of what is the best option, right? And, and I, this is a very different conversation than you're having. But I, to me, it's like, I totally agree with everything you just said, but I'm also sitting here and I'm like, I do think it's interesting to talk about these case studies, not in the manner that they did. Because in the manner that they did, it's like this edgy, self-serving. It was a lot of VCs who did this, and I'm not, nothing against VCs. It's just, oh, interesting. You have this opinion where there's this downside. Like, can't you be happy for this company? Like, you know, that type of a thing. Like, we all want to see the ecosystem dollars go. Yeah. self-funded. What are you talking about? If you truly celebrate entrepreneurship, you should love this. Dude, Bennett is co-founder. Dude, props. Respect. 100%. I've had that for them for years. That's one of the reasons they invited me over because I was like, yo, dude. Most of us have had that wow. for them. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. Even if you're competing with them, you have to respect what they built because you wouldn't exist without them. Sorry. You but that's what wouldn't. I'm saying. You wouldn't know the plays. If you celebrated entrepreneurship, you maybe would have an interesting critique of like, hey, like they didn't do this. That was for the time. They got giant buyouts and they also got profit sharing for years on an insanely profitable company. Like, I don't know, man. Everyone knew what they were getting into. If the company didn't do the best it could as a self-funded company to get to where it's at, it would not have turned into the success that it has. That's my point. Like, People don't realize how hard these companies are to build, especially self-funded especially, right? And sure, you could say MailChimp like was customer funded for like 10 years now. Fine, because you know they were highly profitable and all that stuff, I'm sure. But none of that matters. There's only one simple thing that matters. $12 billion self-funded, right? Like what? How can any of us say anything to that? It's incredible. It's, it's incredible that like they were able to achieve that level of value, and, and yeah, VCs saying this or not, like, dude, VCs are one of the most vocal people on Twitter. You don't know how many VCs I've muted. And I've raised money. I have investors in my company. I haven't muted any of them, I promise. But like, it's because like, I don't care about the memes. I don't care about your little ecosystem of VCs talking to each other on Twitter about that has nothing to do with startups, nothing to do with like achieving what they should be helping us do as founders. And like, so yeah, I probably didn't see it because they're muted. If you're a VC complaining about anything on Twitter, you're doing yourself a disservice, seriously. Because then you're letting your opinion shape how people think about you on Twitter because of your complaints. So the next self-funded company is not going to want to talk to you when they want to raise money. Because they're like, well, what, what is this kind of opinion? What's going on here? Like, like, that's easy. So again, not to give advice to anybody about tweeting, but like, man, like some of the takes, some of the things, some of the complaints, it's like way off base. It's almost like they don't even understand their customer with some of the tweets that they're talking about. That's my problem. So I'm saying like, okay, Atlanta ecosystem? Okay, gotcha. But like, let's go back and think about how much MailChimp has done for that ecosystem. Let's go back and think about that. And yes, they made mistakes. I'm not at all denying anything. It's not all roses and whatever. But Ben has been highly active in that community for many years. One of the reasons I was there, the main reason was because of Ben. And it was because of some startup event they were having in Atlanta. And he's like, hey, you should come. I'm like, okay, fine. Right? Like, we need to celebrate this. I don't see any rational thinking or any truth in criticizing this company at this point. Here's the thing, though. There's so much hate for VCs from self-funded bootstrap people who might have even gone through VC before or whatever, but they're completely misguided 
and were completely incentive misaligned from the investors when they took their money. Or they don't understand the world of investing and investors. And so that they have no clue how both systems, self-funded and venture-backed, work and what the incentives are there for everybody. It makes me sad because like I've tweeted things and people don't understand them and they like jump on me about them. And it's like, I'm the last person you need to talk about any of this stuff to. <laughs> I've had self-funded and venture-backed companies for quite some long, a long time. I have friends in both camps, so to speak. And like, I don't care. This is business. Like they're both just businesses and you have different incentive alignment with all the different stakeholders, whether it's investors or whoever else. What are we talking about here? Why is this such a divide? It's just different choices on how you want to build your business. It's not that big of a deal. I wish there were more investors that were conscious of like the difference and not so allergic to all this stuff. Do you think giving equity or not giving equity is an interesting conversation to have though, right? No, absolutely not. Why? doesn't matter. So like founder comes to you and is like, we're like, ah, should we give equity or not? You're not going to like talk to them about it? I don't You're care. like, oh, this doesn't matter? You do whatever you think is right based on your ability to recruit and your ability to keep people happy at your company. There's nothing to hide. Like everybody knows that there are options here on equity, revenue share, profit share, all kinds of things. Like th- there are options are public. So an employee coming in to work for you, you just have to do whatever keeps your team happy and keeps everyone aligned. Why do we need to have a discussion about give equity or not or all that? The discussion should be what should you do in your company? That's what I'm based saying. On what you think. But yeah, that's what I'm but saying. Like the discussion always turns into some angry people not being contextual. That's why I don't want to have the discussion, right? But you and me, if I was like, hey man, I'm starting a new company, I'm like debating not giving equity. Like, what do you think? Like, you and I could debate that. Yeah. Like, yeah. We would talk about it and be like, well, here's the here's the thing we would say, or here's the thing I would say. If you think you're going to raise money and you're sure of that, then you should give equity because that's the system. If you're going to be self-funded and you're sure of that, then here are the options for you. There's the base camp way. There's the Heat and Shaw way, which is different than the base camp way. But we would talk there's through that. it. I'm okay talking through that. I'm not okay talking about the fact that MailChimp should have gave equity or oh, not because no. I don't care. That's not what I was asking. I understand, but that's what the conversation usually starts with and turns into, right? Then I'm not interested in that conversation because it has nothing to do with me and my businesses. I don't care about equity versus no equity. What should MailChimp have done? I care about like, oh, this is actually interesting. They didn't give any equity. There's some bootstrap companies that give equity and you were just saying these four different options or whatever. What do we think? What do you think you sure, should do? Of course do? we well, should talk about that. When this happens, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I have to talk about now? Just like. But everyone makes it about some company that did or didn't do something in their opinion, right? That's what they all make it about, especially at these moments. These are the takes I don't care for. Someone's going to give a logical, rational opinion about what MailChimp did, what MailChimp could have done differently, and what that would have led to, and like had a really thoughtful conversation about that. Great. But a lot of the times the people that are speaking about this stuff don't know what MailChimp did or did not do. Yeah, of course. I think to me, the thing I was getting at is like, because we do this a lot internally, is like, we'll see a company did something as much as we know. And then we just like, so what happened? What did they do? And if we don't know all the details, that's fine. Because we're not debating like- And guess what? About them. We never do that. I don't allow it. No, 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 hold on. I didn't finish my statement. Because I actually think what I'm about to say is really important. At least it's worked out really well for us. A company did something. We read something in the news. Or someone asked a question or something. And we talked briefly about that. That's the spark of the conversation. And then we go- Oh, interesting. This thing that happened, how would we handle that? Oh, well, we would do this because... And we explicitly do not do any of that. 
Like, like I'm serious. Like you do zero case study of like, if this thing happens, we do zero of that triggered by an outside event that is not related to us. Zero. But does that I literally really do not allow it. If someone starts talking about something that has nothing to do with us and is hypothetical, unless it's really important, I don't allow it. I'm allergic to it because I don't want to sure debate things. We're not debating. No, 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 no. We're talking about the same thing. No, we're talking about the same thing. I understand what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you're debating it. I, I get what your process is. It's just not mine. So let me give you a hypothetical. I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good. Netflix, they fired that guy for saying the N-word, right? Yep. We read about it, saw it on Twitter. Yep. Oh, did you see Netflix fired this guy for saying the N-word? Yep. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Interesting. Okay. What would we do if someone here said the N-word? You don't do that at all. So, so you know that thing that you said about, that oh, this happens. happened over there with Netflix, right? That doesn't even happen in my company. Like nobody goes and looks for this you stuff. You don't talk finds- about the news at all? Like, we don't, don't talk about anything? We, we do not talk about anything happening on the outside unless it's relevant to us directly right now. This is a literal implicit rule that if anyone does it, I, I will talk to them and say, hey, that's cool, but you're distracting the company right now. So you're going to have to decide if you want to distract the company with that. And, and it's a decision everyone needs to make every moment of every day when they read the news. Yeah. Let me make sure I understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, God forbid 9-11 happens again. That's just not going to come up That's at all? completely different. Okay. That's completely different. You're going- What's our levels? No, 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 no. You're saying- Heaton doesn't want anyone talking about the news. That so is not. All, I'm not I'm saying, saying anything. I'm not saying. No, anything. no, 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 no. I am no, no, asking. No, no. Questions. I'm just saying your, your your implication of your question means exactly that. That's not what I'm saying. Do not put your opinion of what I'm trying to ask. I'm literally trying to understand. Like you, you just made a statement that was like, we don't talk about anything unless you think it's going to distract the company. And I'm like, okay, well then, what if this happens? Well, no, we can talk about that. And I'm like, what the hell? Here's the thing, dude. It's a culture thing. Okay. Culturally, our organization at NERA, we do not talk about the news. Now, is it an explicit, no one can talk about the news? No. But if someone talked about that Netflix thing in my company, I would go back to them and just say right away, do you think that would happen here? And do you think we should be talking about it as if it would happen here? And if so, sure. But you're going to have to prove to me this is a relevant conversation for someone to be engaged with in the company right now. And so think of it this way. There's very little small talk in the company on that's Slack, that's what I'm getting for at. example, yeah, very little. So Marie Marie doesn't go like, "Hey, did you see what this company did?" Like she never says that to you. We do not do that because we don't care what other people do. We care if it impacts us. We care if it's relevant to us right now. But we do not care. We don't, and we're not even self centered. We're self aware, and that awareness is like, oh no, I get it. Anytime we do that, we're adding cognitive load to the whole team for reasons that probably don't matter. And so why would I enable anyone to do that in the organization if like we have a certain respect for each other and each other's opinions? So it's like, it's not an opinionless world and it's not a newsless world, but it's like, yo, is this relevant? If someone gets in front of a group, even a small group and is like, oh, did you guys see this thing happen? Like that doesn't happen. If it happens with us, people are like, what? I don't care. Like, there, there's no one like talking about politics at, at Profitable, like anymore. We did kind of a. I'm not even, thing. I'm not, I'm talking about something very specific that you said, right? Yeah. That, that Netflix example is a good one. As far as I remember, when that happened, I did not have any discussions with anyone in the company about it. And I believe nobody else in the company did either. And that's because we just don't do that. 
let me define my parameters a little more. Sure. So, cause I actually learned this from Netflix. So when that happened, let's say this happened, I don't think this actually happened, but just for the sake of the conversation, like when that happened, Faku would like, we, we have never talked about letting someone go for a word. Interesting world we're in. He would text me and say, oh, did you see that they did this? Like just small talk, the definition of small talk. I would go, oh, that's interesting. And then during a meeting, we would just between me and him that just, you know, a casual meeting, we would actually go, oh, it's an interesting discussion. Like, what, what do you think we would do? Like just between me and him to do a case study or like a red team on like basically what we would do so that God forbid that thing happened, we would like have had talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we, we, we don't even bother, dude. And the reason Nothing is like, like, like the reason is our, our leadership team, like myself, our head of engineering, our head of sales and, and, and Marie, my co-founder, dude, we're super easy to react the right way in any situation. Like all of us. No, but it's but not even. Is, is, no, what so I mean Netflix, is like, yeah. if we red teamed it and it wasn't important, like it's not just me culturally, like that would have a problem with this. Like it would be like Steve, who's our head of engineering, would be like, yo, what are we talking about? Like, what's going on? Like, like, do we need to talk about this right now? Like, like, is this, is this like something we should do? Right. And why? It, it's just a different way to think about it. And, and yes, the words never, we don't have those convos. We don't think about hypotheticals. We focus on like what we need to get done. And there's so much to get done already. So Netflix has a style where their exec team and their management teams will like pre case study things. And these things are like relevant. And that's what just, I'm trying to tell you, dude. Just let me explain. Yeah. Just let me explain. So they pre case study things that are somewhat on the horizon, right? Like, Hey, we're this size. Now these things are going to start to come up, you know, based on what we've seen in other companies, like let's talk through some scenarios on how we would handle it, blah, 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 blah. And it's not, again, it's hypothetical. Yeah. But, but I know how they do that too. So far and they out. don't, they don't do it the way you're describing it, like about how you do it. Well, and what you, you haven't do. let me they describe do it. it half the time. No, no, so. no, but I already heard it. You already told me. I, I just want to clear this up. Sure. We will only do that if it's necessary. And we will do that in a setting that's appropriate for that being done. We will not do that. We will not entertain random conversations about things like that, that are hypotheticals. You guys might be different and that's cool. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. That's the nuance here. Netflix does not do that unless it's actually a crisis and not a bad crisis, but something they're actually concerned about well, that is going to be relevant in, the, in some amount of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't do it reactively. That's my point. They do it proactively, meaning like they That's didn't fine. have a situation like the guy saying the N-word and then they did this. They like had some conversation that was similar to that situation six to 12 months before. I'll put it to you in a super pithy way. If a company feels like they have the luxury to do that, then they should do that. Our company does not feel like we have the luxury to do those kind of things for every single thing or even for things like that Netflix would do because we don't think like that. Like it's not even reactive or proactive. I don't know if I believe you. I feel like we are talking about different things. That's that's how strongly I feel right now. I don't believe that we're actually talking about different things. I believe that we're actually on the right exact line and I just have a different way of thinking about this stuff. No, that's fine. And that's and I keep seeing that, but I'm like, you and I have talked about hypotheticals before. Like and not necessarily related to the company. But, in, but so internally like, internally we don't do that, especially not on team and culture stuff. We just don't. And there's a number of reasons why, and I can tell you all of them, but like we just don't do it. It would be hard for me to tell you why we don't do it without insulting you. So like, I'm not going to do that. We just don't do it, dude. We just don't do it. Like we don't roll like that. Like there's none of that literally. Cause like, I know the tolerance of the team. We don't have tolerance for that. Here's where I think we're talking about different things. I know that you're not thinking of just the freaking thing right in front of your face. I know not. that's not how you think. 
Sure. So it's like, yes, maybe like the N-word thing's a bad example because it's like, we just don't hire like stupid people, right? Like, that's fine. But I know, I know you're having conversations about six, nine, 12 months out. Look at it this way, right? Hey, John is a manager in the company. He just got promoted. And, you know, he just told us that he's going to go take three weeks off because he needs to recharge, right? That would kick off a few hypotheticals to make sure that we have awareness of like what might come next. It is reactive in that case, for sure. But that's a, that's just a random example. Give me an example of proactive that you would do. What if this customer turns? When would you do what, that? What, what, what if this customer turns? What if this really important person in the company might leave? How early would you do that, you think? Again, we, we get triggered. You get so some signal. Is, he like It's still some signal. It's still some you. signal. It's still some signal, exactly. Would you talk about Q3 of next year? Q what? Q3 of next year on a some axis of some sort. Yeah, product, for sure. Roadmap, yeah, absolutely. product. Okay, so and in that sense, you talk about the market, hypotheticals, those types of things. But it's not a hypothetical. It's what's, what should our roadmap be and why should it be like that? And the granularity of it There's aspects as it's of further out is, is, is not as gran, it's not as granular. But we have sure, to talk about it. We don't have a choice. No, I agree. We don't need to talk about someone hypothetically saying the N-word in our Slack channel no, know, or anything I like know. that. I was, it was right? more, it's more around like, I see the hypothetical aspects and I see how that can be massively distracting and 100% see the benefit. Here's the thing. So you never red team anything. Is that what you're saying? That's kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. We rarely red team. You that's rarely right. red team. Yeah, that's right. And the reason is like we have not found the benefits in it at our scale. We have also not found the benefits in it at a larger scale when I've worked with these same people. But if there is a crisis, yeah, it's not just red team. It's like it's just a different way to think about it. It kind of goes back to a little bit of an attitude, which is like things aren't problems until they're problems. And if you're trying to catch something early, you should have caught it early. 100%. And that means that th there's a lot of signal on the reactiveness. So, so the way we augment what you're saying is by being hyper aware of where we need to react. And, and, and a lot of it's just the team, right? Like the way our team is designed is to be reactive. So we create opportunities to react early on anything like that. So that's why I don't resonate with this idea that something happened outside of our lives and our company and having to react to that. Because we are all constantly reacting to what has, what's happening inside the company. And we are finding ways to have signal on the things that we want to get ahead of. But we're not sitting here trying to make up a story about what might happen. That just doesn't happen in our company. We do not red team off of non-relevant stimuli. We don't just like wake up and go, what if this thing happened? Let's talk about it. I'm not trying to imply you do, but the thing is like your concept of relevance is probably just very different than mine. That's and not totally just fine. fine. That's but totally like fair. Our, our team, and that's all this conversation is about. Your concept of relevance is different than mine. I have learned and seen the value of red teaming a world over. I have no denying the value, and I have no denying that we do it. But do we do it often? No. Yeah, but this is why I don't think we're that far off because I'm not saying we do it often. I think we do it more often than you, based on just personality more than anything. That's right. Look, I didn't win debate championships. And I've told you this before, right? Like, and like we're in debate mode right now. And I don't need to be because like I don't do that. I don't need I'm to not I don't want to debate, debate mode. Right? Like I literally just want you to understand me. No, 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 no. I, I do, but like here's what I'm trying to say. Is that what you're gonna say to insult me? What was the thing you were gonna say that would insult me? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> what were you gonna say to me? Don't you Nothing. don't you cop out? What were you gonna say? Nothing. I'm not copping out. I'm not gonna say
You just said you just said you. that like oh I was gonna say something but that would, that would come off insulting. No, what but what I that? mean is I don't need to say. I didn't say it because I don't need to say nothing. But I want to know. I, I even lost it. That's how unimportant it was. I, I mean it. No, I, I, I straightforwardly I mean it. I wasn't mad at you until then. No, I straightforwardly mean it. I have nothing to say, and I'm not trying to hide anything. I just have nothing to say. My point it felt like something like, I would learn from. That's why I wanted to know. No, 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 no. It's not about that. I, I, I'm not scared to say anything to you. Don't get me wrong. Even if it's being recorded, it doesn't matter to me. But my point is like, we are so focused on not what's in front of us, but what we know we need to do. And at this exact point of where we're at, and I don't see this point going away for a long time, there's just a flood of things that need to get done that nobody has time for any hypotheticals at the moment. And that's not just me. That's like, even if I went to Steve and said, hey man, that thing in Q3, can we talk about it? He, he would look at me, be like, hey, I'm worried about the thing in like a week and I'm worried about the thing in Q4. Do you really want to talk to me about the thing in Q3? Because if you do, that's cool. You got 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot right? of And he would, he's not that strict. Too. He actually would entertain well, yeah, me and do it. There. But yeah. that's a conversation I have in my head before I talk to him about Q3 of next year, anything. And, and it's part of the effect that, we have inside the company. And what I mean by that is like, we prefer it this way. And this way means like people are engaged in the constructs, the things we're trying to do. And I'm not saying your company's not. I'm just saying we're just so into that. We have so much signal about what we need to do that if you threw anything at me from the news, I can easily quickly tell you whether it's worthy of a conversation internally yeah, or not. Yeah, I think what I should have said is the news is not the primary stimuli. The news has to be like, this thing happened and also this other thing happened internally. That's interesting. Let's talk about the red team of it. I'll tell you another way to think about it. I have very little business fear personally, and I have very little business worries personally. And so we don't treat things as worries. We only treat them as events. And we do our best to do that. Not unemotionally, don't get me wrong. And then we react to events. And so if we need to worry about certain things like this, the event would be internal. The event wouldn't be external in most cases. And that's what I'm trying to say. And yes, we have systems to make sure we understand the internal events that would cause us to red team. But they're not like other people's events like, oh no, there's a disaster. Ours are a lot more minutia to prevent those things. Right. Part of it is like culturally, we're a security company. We're building a security product here. And there's a bunch of things that we're already like hyper aware of and need to be careful about. And so we've just created more of that than less of the outside reaction. Also, I am the person that wrote about founder bombs and heat and bombs. Right. And and, and this area gets really close to that. So yeah, that's why I'm passionate about talking about this because it's something I've dealt with the wrong way in the past and screwed up a lot of things that I shouldn't have, that if I know what I know now, I wouldn't have. And so on that side, I'm coming from a lot of biases around how I think about this and assumptions about what I want and what I don't want and how that how the team and the, and the companies react. Like not too long ago, but too long ago, but like we didn't have like a small talk channel or whatever they call that. We didn't have any channel for any of that. We didn't have any of that. We had a general but no one does small talk in general, actually, in our on our team. We didn't have like an off-topic channel or anything like that. We have like a life outside prop one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We added one of those and like, it's good. It's fine. Like people are talking about how like they ran a marathon with their, you know, father and all this other cool stuff. That's like the last one I just saw. But it's not like a super active channel. And a lot of it has to do with us just being remote first and highly respecting people's personal space and time. I now can tell if something's a little off the rails by how active that channel is. 
because normally it's not just like I did this thing this weekend when it's off the rails. It turns into like these really long discussions about like stuff that has nothing to do with the like that's the thing. Like if there's someone having a discussion about the Afghanistan war right now, unless it's like let's get coffee, which doesn't really happen right now. Like it's way off. Something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that way offness or any of those long discussions like that, unless they're just about being happy for someone else or something like that, they don't happen. Like zero. I actually talked to someone yesterday about this part. I think that distracting conversations is something that we've go out of our way to like just squash our growth team. Like Steven, Vic, Dan, Kim, like they're very Shut like, up. please don't waste my time. Like just, I have to do my I'll thing. shout out to them What's right, on? right on. That's right. Imagine a whole company like that. Well, and our product team and engineering teams are very much like that. What I was about to say is, and our ops team is like that, but that's, I think they're like that personality wise, but they're also like that just from, we have too many things going on. Of course. The team that is not like that is half of our sales team. And what I found is it's not, it's not distracting conversations, talking about the news or talking about, it's not like that at all. It's like, yeah, why don't we like think about this and like have a meeting? It's like, no, this is not something that needs to be thought about. Well, let's wait to like, you know, wait for a couple of weeks for him to be back and we can get him. No, like, come on. Like, it's like there was an interesting tweet today about how was I successful at a Fortune 500 company? I ended every Slack message with let's meet later this week on this. I ended every meeting with, oh, we should have a offsite about that. It was like a funny, like everything escalates. So that's the team I'm working on a little bit now. And it, and it's not, again, it's not like they're distracting with things that are off topic. It's more they're distracting with like making decisions or knowing when to expand rather than to contract timelines and stuff like that, which is an interesting phenomenon. And I think it's their style a little bit because they're always like selling. Like I had to tell this guy, he's great. He's managed a lot, but not in this particular context. And I just was like, hey man, you don't need to sell me this conversation what do you need? I can always tell a salesperson when they string together like three, not idioms, but three like turns of phrase in a row. Like, yeah, so uh, great connect this week. Let's do like, you know, they like string those, those like things where you're like, oh, you're salesing me right now. And I just stopped and was like, hey man, stop salesing me. Like you don't need to just tell me what the hell you need and let's go. Like, yeah, it's interesting. I have spent time with salespeople to teach them about on mode and off mode and how internally you should be in off mode more of the time, not in on mode because there's nobody to sell internally. You're, we're already sold, bro. We're already sold. You're great. This is where communication management stuff expands so much within organizations. I think like nine months ago, well, and this is where I think we talked about it last week, the test that I do in the final interviews now where I kind of test, it's like a temperament test almost. It's like- Yep, you give them a case study The people almost, who yeah. are super like, sensitive and stuff like that and again it's not a judgment thing it's just they're wired to like emote about this stuff or like talk want to talk about this stuff or like every little thing is like a conversation it's not about the core work as soon as we like started screening for that and as soon as we kind of like let the attrition happen or let certain people go like night and day like focus 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 and what's funny is when you hire people that don't fail like that kind of temperament test that are like fully functioning adults as well. Not saying those people who fail are not fully functioning adults. Our new recruiter, Haley, she's fantastic. She's been with us for a few months now. I was so uncomfortable when I first started managing her because it was very like, I wasn't getting 20 minute useless conversations. Like, and I was like, do you like your job? Like, is everything okay? <laughs> like I was just very confused because I wasn't getting that stimuli. And I was like, oh, this is what like an adult in this role looks like kind of a thing. So yeah, it's interesting. Or I shouldn't say an adult, but like this is what someone who has a uh, higher tolerance for certain like sensitivities like has. 
I don't know. The one thing I want to say about red teaming, I want to give you like the framework that we used when I worked in Intel, Intel community, because this is the framework that I actually was talking about. And it probably would have been so much better if I mentioned this. So it's a very active process. So let's say there's an external stimuli and the external stimuli is like a market stimuli, something that came up, whatever it is, or there's an internal stimuli or the mix of both, right? Like, oh, this external thing reminded us of the internal thing, gave us some more data. Let's figure it out. There's like three levels to this. The first level is, and this is just my own neuroses. It helps me a lot if, even if I don't take that to a wider group, I just will red team it. I have probably 70 different docs and they're normally like one page of just red team of like, I have some stimuli to suggest that this thing may happen. And basically it's like, just here's a quick over a coffee or something. And like, again, it's, it's not, yes, I could be using that time elsewhere, but it's also like, I think important to me because I've seen this help us, but basically just like red team it real quick. And it literally is just like, if this, then that, if this, then that, and it's like, this might be wrong. This might be completely wrong, but it's like, here's the recipe that we're initially going to look at if this thing happens. And then I have it labeled. Now, if it's a thing that is going to like a future of the company, right? So we're thinking maybe we raise money, that kind of thing. Like then it's like Faku and I, depending on the gravity of the thing, we'll sit down over a specific, you know, we'll have a meeting about it. Like, like basically define the space. He goes off, thinks about it. I go off, think about it. We typically write something like, Again, maybe half page up to if we really get into it, a couple pages if we need to collect some research or whatever it is. Then we come back, we consolidate. And then we like repeat the meeting until like we're done. And we try to give ourselves like a specific timeline. Like, and we used to like not have the deadline, but then now it's like, you know, okay, here. And then normally what the, the product of that is like, okay, we know when we say go, which is likely going to be an X number of months, we're going to go, right? We have a red team doc on raising money we're starting, we don't have all the pieces, but we have like, this is the stimuli. Here's like, you know, conversations with you, conversations else. This is, seems to be the recipe to go after it, all that kind of fun stuff. And then rarely there's remote versus not remote, right? It's not really hypothetical, but like- It's a reality, yeah. That question well, was, was forced a little more reactively with COVID, right? So that turns into a little bit red teaming with like basically the management team, the exec team. And that ends up being like, the secret is if you're red teaming with a group, prep the most divergent questions and the core issues before the meeting. So normally there might be like, hey, we had a core meeting. We talked about whatever you need to talk about. And then at the tail end, you know, there's 10, 15 minutes left. Hey, we're going to talk about remote at some point. Just brain dump. Cool. Like we have an extra few minutes in the meeting. All right. Brain dump, brain dump, brain dump. You start to see who disagrees with what. And then come to that meeting prepped to actually talk about it. But yeah, I would say like anything beyond one, which is my own personal stuff, once a quarter, maybe, which I'm sure that's why I was like, I know you do this. I know you do this at least once a quarter. Like you might not do it in the same way, but I think you do it. There's a lot of manifestations of red teaming that I just don't resonate with. And part of it is like, I haven't worked in an office and had to red team things that someone made me do. I haven't like tried to like go red team and call it that. I don't think I've ever asked someone to do this at the company. No, no, I understand. I don't think that's actually happened. Yeah. You know, I get it. So like the construct, like what you explained makes sense. Construct for me is like, because I, I thought through as you were talking, like, okay, so we've had to make some of the decisions that you're talking about. Um, so the way we made the fundraising decision was I was front running it, which is what I like to call it. And I spent about a month and a half front running it. 
what that means is like just tried to get an understanding of the situation. And it was because it wasn't a decision we were going to make in the next three months. It was a decision we were making the next six. And, and that's when we needed to make it. And so I started just getting what I needed to gather to make sure that I had an understanding of any question that Steve or Marie would ask. And Marie is usually the one with lots of questions. And I wanted to make sure that that document you mentioned was solid before she even saw it. And so the first thing early I did is I went to Steve. I was like, yo, should we raise money? This is what I'm thinking. Here's why I'm thinking it. He's the one I can go to with a loose idea. And he'll give me like the quick yay, nay, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm done with him. I don't need to talk to him anymore about it. In fact, I didn't because I got what I needed from him on it. And then I went and did what you described that you do with Facundo and go like figure out, oh, that document. But instead I did it myself. So I did research, talked to my buddies, talked to people, talked to investors, talked to people that I trusted to give me just a lay of the land and perspective. Then once I got that perspective and the clarity and felt like I was willing to address any of the questions that Marie asked, and I was in a space and headspace to do that, then I laid it on her and I said, hey, I know we've talked about this off and on a little bit because we have, and I, I was planting some seeds to just make that conversation easier. And then I just gave her the document. And the thing is, because I did all that work, and all that effort in there because I thought it was an important decision that we need to be aligned with. Yeah, it was really easy. And if I wouldn't have done that, and when I don't do that for serious big things like this, it's not easy. So I want to make it easy. And so this is what I do. We've learned that lesson with anything besides Facundo and I. Like it's got to be like gather research. Yes, maybe there's like a discussion that's like pure raw input, but then bring the essay, bring the document, the memo. And then 90 to 95% of thinking should be done, if not 100%. Here's a very interesting framework. I've used it over and over again and taught people it because it just really works. I like to identify who is proactive by nature and who is reactive by nature. And based on that, I determine how to approach different people about different ideas and topics. So a good example is there are some people that want to be so proactive that they want to understand, even if the questions are irrelevant right now, they just want to understand the scope. So they want to understand the full scope. That would be someone who's proactive. So my wife, Amy, is very proactive. She wants to understand the full scope, have a very good idea of going in. Marie's even more proactive than her and wants like a lot more information just for her understanding, not necessarily because it's going to help make the decision. And that has to do with like what I would call someone who's very proactive. And there's modes. It's not like someone's only one way or another, but most people are highly biased one way or another. Reactive is like, hey, just, just throw me in there and let's figure it out, right? Just throw me the questions, throw me the topic. Like, let's go, let's figure it out. Let's discuss it, blah, blah, blah. And you can have a discussion with them where it doesn't feel like an interrogation. And that's a very much so reactive person. So Steve and I are very reactive in that way, naturally. And that's how we communicate and get along, which is like, I can call him right now, be like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And he'll give me the blah, blah, blah about it. And we'll be done quickly and everyone will move on, right? And if it's not a blah, 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 it's more like, hey, Steve, I want to talk about this for a second because it's just on my mind and I think you can help me. And he's like, okay, cool. And then we talk about it for a while until it's done. And done meaning one of us is satisfied or we got somewhere or we didn't need to get anywhere because I set it up from the beginning, right? It's a very reactive style where like I can pop up a question anytime and I don't feel like I'm going to be interrogated or get a million questions about it that I'm not like ready to answer and not prepared. So with some people like Marie, if they're really serious decisions, I prefer to like be highly prepared on my end before bringing it to her. Because if I don't, then there's reactions I would have. There's things I might get triggered by, by her questions that I just don't 
feel leads to a healthy discussion. And so to me, I'm just trying to identify, is someone more proactive naturally or more reactive? Now, here's a funny thing. If I go to Marie with things that aren't in that proactive trigger camp or whatever, which now I've gotten a good idea of which ones fall in that or not, she's extremely great reactively. But Steve and I are just constant, easy, quick, always reactive, always cool with that. If it needs to be proactive, it's because we're already in execution mode. So that, that, that's something that I found really beneficial because people are very different in these areas where their natural instinct is one or the other. So practically for a level two or higher decision, I don't know, like you would go to Marie prepared with the memo or with the memo-ish information. Just prepared. Bullets, memo, something that gives her a lot of context up front. Steve, when is there the equivalent of a memo ever? When we're in execution mode. So basically like, okay, cool. Let's, let's find. When we need to go plan. get it done. When let's we're get getting it done. When we're yeah, in, in motion, when the train has left the station. Yes. Until then, there's no reason for any of that with him. That's fair. I like that. Right. And, and again, neither of these are good or bad. In fact, I'm so happy that I have two people that are very different here that I can work with in different ways. That actually is really helpful because I'm not going to say Trust me, this names. one, I'll be cocky and say, I know how helpful this is because I've used this with business people over and over again. And it's one of my like key frameworks I have not seen anyone go after or talk about or I can read about because it's just so stupid simple, right? But anyway, I'll let you continue. I know Marie a bit. We have our Marie. They're not Marie. Sure. Of course, someone very proactive. Coded, yep. coded like, well, like. Someone's very proactive. Is, I understand. Cool. They're not proactive in their life though. It's not about that, right? Is it? Proactive isn't about taking initiative. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about what they prefer. They prefer the scope yes. up front. Yes, 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 yes. Now, here's my question about that. Because then maybe I, I'm getting this not wrong, but I might not be applying it correctly. When you prepare that, let's say it's a memo worthy thing and Marie gets the memo. How long does she need to look at that to like, cool, let's go? I mean, it depends, obviously, but like how often is it like we're ready to go after she reads the memo versus I need to take a day to think about it or something like that? We both, whether it's by training each other or not, I don't know, don't have the weight gene. Like there's no weight on either side, right? So so that doesn't come up with her. Um, I know the type of person you're talking about, like where they might need to wait. My feeling on that is that if I were working with someone like that, that was proactive and had the, I guess the digestion gene, I'll call it, like they want to digest it and which is fine. Great. Then I would just give it ahead of time and schedule a meeting by the timeline that I think they would have digested it. Yeah, and I would sense. even tell them, please comment in the doc when you read it, please add questions. In fact, I might've done that with her where I said, Hey, this is the memo. We're going to talk about it at this point. And then we did it like that. Yeah, and then I still reviewed huge. it together with her because she probably wanted more context. I reviewed the comments she made, but that wasn't because it was a wait and see. It was just because it felt right to do it like that. But some people love to digest. And with those people, you should give them the information up front and time. And I think a lot of proactive people bend towards that. Marie is a little bit different where she doesn't need to bend towards that. I can get her engaged and active and we can go after it in, in the moment too. The digestion folks, I have made the mistake. The thing is, is like, you know, the Bezos Amazon style of like memo, read the memo in the meeting, blah, blah, blah. Those folks should get the memos like early before the meeting is possible, right? Because it's like you walk in and you're like, I have the plan. And especially after you've gone through this like research and figured this out and talk to your Steves and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, here's the execution plan. And then it's most likely unfair to get upset with a digester that you're like, no, 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 we're all on board. Like, let's go. Like, you know, by the end of the meeting, right? 
So that's an interesting thing. That's a good framework. I like that. Works really well. I think you and Facundo are on the reactive side when you talk to him and and you both are very good at that and can do it. Except, you know, in those scenarios before where like you were just miscommunicating and whatnot. This is a very extremely useful thing across the board when you're in a relationship of any kind and trying to either get stuff done or just trying to like not talk across each other, right? Jenny is definitely my my boo. She's definitely proactive. And sometimes I'm like, and the digester. So there's like, what? Let's go. Yeah. What's going and, on? And, like, and my wife, yeah. Amy's like that too. And the, one of the things about digestion in a way is like, I often will encourage someone not to digest and I've been able to get away with it by being open to any and all of their thinking out loud. Give me an example, even a hypothetical one. Sure, sure. Of course. So let's say I'm like, hey, Amy, like, you know, I want to buy a new car. She's going to sit there and have a million questions for me. Not in the way Marie would. Uh, like Marie would be like, what color, what kind, like all these other things. Amy would be more like, why? Like, just why? And then I'd have to explain why. And that's one of those decisions she'd want to digest, but I'm committed to it. And that's what I want. So then I sit there and be like, can you just talk to me about what's going through your head? So I try to get them to open up their digestion to me so I can help direct it in a way that's like, oh no, that, oh, that doesn't matter because of this. Oh, that, I'm not worried about that. Are you worried about it for sure? Oh, you're not either. Okay, cool. What's the next thing, right? And so you kind of make them think out loud. And I think that helps everybody because for me, that helps me understand how they think in order to do one thing, which is next time when I'm in that same situation, what do I need to do to make it better and a better experience for both of us? No, I buy that. Yeah. You also like accelerate their digestion just by... And you know, that's the impatience in me of wanting to do that. So if I'm patient in the moment, I can appease my impatience for out of the moment, if that makes sense. So... No, of course. As long as you're not like, obviously like, why are you even asking? But like, you know, it's like, okay, this is your process. Cool. Rather than like right. extending your process over three days, let's try to like do it over this day. And which I think is good. And it's not to like push someone. It's just to understand no, no, how, they, no, no. how yeah. they're thinking, right? Well, you can handle some of their objections rather easily. Exactly. And like, it's really assumptions more than objections even, right? It's yeah, usually exactly. like an assumption, a set of assumptions they're making that are not true or not aligned. And then you got to get aligned on them. Well, is that important? You're making that assumption. I understand. I'm not. Is it an important one? Do we need to make it? Like those are the kinds of conversations you get into there and they're great because then you're just able to get there faster and get aligned because all of it, like, you know, as you and I talk about quite a bit, it just goes back to alignment, right? I think alignment's the key and just as many ways as you can get alignment as quickly as possible is better. This is good. Yeah. We haven't even done a full episode on it yet on alignment. Yeah, because I think it's the root of everywhere. Everything. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you're just going to talk about all the things we've talked about. So that's good. I agree with you on distracting conversations should be rooted out as much as humanly possible. And the best way to do that is through just people who don't want to have those distracting conversations. And I agree with you that red teaming things is a useful exercise. <laughs> I don't. I wasn't trying to disagree. No, with no, that. I know. I do think the one thing that's like interesting is I have found it is a next to terrible way of getting someone not to have distracting conversations by saying, "This is a distracting conversation. Let's stop having distracting conversations." You cannot do that. You cannot. Well, because do that. It, every it's all relative, right? And like to them, it's not a distracting conversation. It's important, right? And then. My other attacks have been, what's the thing we're focused on right now? Like, okay, let's keep the focus thing. Is this, is this important to the focus? Kind of like what you were saying. And, and that works a lot. It's interesting though. Like, and I find when that doesn't work, I've done something wrong when it comes to being clear about the focus and why the focus is what it is. 
that's normally the thing. You have a lot of personalities in general. You have a lot of different life experiences and you have a lot of people who are going to have a certain way of doing things. Back to your thing about your test, you know, when you interview people, like, are they going to be a good fit in your company or not based on this test? And like, when they're not, that's fine, right? So I think in a lot of ways, if someone came in and started this kind of thing in our company, they just probably aren't a good fit, to be frank. It's not something we do. That's the thing. And so it's going to look oddball. And it's also not something we want to encourage on top of that. And like, I don't think companies are exactly honest about this stuff with people. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's actually the intention for us comes out of you might have a different opinion about things in the news or in the outside world than people in the company. And so in order for us to respect everyone's opinions and points of view, let's just be careful about like what opinions we're sharing that someone else might not have and how forceful we are about them. Right. And that's all. That's a life thing. It's out of great respect. It's not out of hey, we shouldn't talk about this at work or any of that kind of crap. It's actually just out of respect. I want to respect everyone's opinion. I want to have a culture where people are open to everyone's opinions, not because we're sharing them, but because we're not sharing them, because we're respectful. We're not trying to push our opinions on other people. And I'm very careful about that, even myself. I have lots of opinions. I have lots of biases. I have lots of things that I believe to be true that even like maybe Steve doesn't, maybe Marie doesn't, maybe other folks on the team don't, but I don't need to share that with everybody, you know? Even if I see some of this commentary somewhere in our team and like I disagree with it, if it's not important and it's not about work, I don't say anything. I just leave it as is. I believe everyone's entitled to their opinion no matter what it is. And I believe that I need to respect that. I believe we need to build a company that respects that because we might do business with customers that have very different opinions than us and that's got to be okay. It's amazing how 15, 20 years ago, probably even five, 10 years ago, that's how most business worked. It's amazing that's not how it works now. I don't, I'm not going to say good or bad. I'm just like, oh, it's not for us, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. I've been doing this like for 18 years in this way. And like, I don't know another way. So if you try to tell me how to do it the other way or try to get me to do it the other way, I wouldn't be able to. It's as simple as that. Like, we don't need to be a tribe that has opinions on every news article that has nothing to do with our company. You know what's really funny though? Like the thing you just said, which I cannot agree enough with, I think you said it much more eloquently than I would have, is like that view of, it's not I'm entitled to my opinion. It's I'm like, you're not entitled to your opinion essentially. Like that that view, it's such the cause of so much consternation within companies. Like especially large companies that just end up being cities, right? Because there's just so many people, right? Like it's just such consternation. Like it's it's unavoidable consternation because it's like, well, we can't have this, you know, customer, and we can't have this, and the other person can't speak because of this. And it gets interesting. It gets really fascinating. We have a couple of like users and customers that they're not like controversial in like a sense of like KKK or extremes like that, but they're controversial in the sense of like if you have one political belief. You know, it's not for you, right? Or maybe even reli- maybe even religious belief. Let's let's go there because I think a lot of that comes up too. We have both. So we have some companies that aggravate if you're left, and then we have some companies that would aggravate if you're right. Now, ironically, because you know we have some conservative people at the company. We you know we're in Utah, and they're not you know the stereotype, but you know they're still conservative. They don't have a problem with the 
things that are more left, you know, in the the companies that are that would theoretically in the zeitgeist like press on a conservative person. Yeah. The other side, you know, the people, and I don't think it is a left thing. I think it's more of like you just see it with people on the left because I think there's people on the right that are very much like this, and we don't want to get into politics. But long story short, like the people who have had issues with this, and they were more left, and they had issues with the you know right companies. Like we're talking in like to give it because I don't want people to go crazy with it. like the gun space. Like we have a couple companies that are like they're not in the gun space, but they're like tangential to the gun space. And then we have a couple of like political commentators. They're very like center right. They're not quite right. And then we do have some center left comment. Like they have subscriptions now, media companies. But it's kind of fascinating that the objections only came from people who would now have failed the screening questions that we do in our final interview. And basically it's like these people shouldn't exist we should not have them on our platform. And it's such a hard question, right? Because that's a question that a lot of these companies are dealing with. And it's like, well, what's our framework? Well, there's not really a framework because it's it's probably case yeah. by case basis. And the like, framework is someone's opinion. It's right? gonna, yeah, the framework is some, someone's opinion. Some right? rigor around it theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. And there is no framework there because it's like your opinion or mine. And like, well, you know, in a lot of ways, like, and we've seen this play out with Basecamp. We've seen this play out with other people. Well, it's my company, so it's my opinion. Right. And like, there's a lot of not truth in that, but there's just a lot of factual reality there. Right. I don't know. I'm an open person. I grew up as a Jain, which is a religion that's extremely open. The core principle is nonviolence. Another principle is like multiplicity of views. So it's the idea that you can handle views that you might disagree with. And in fact, if you want to go further, you wouldn't disagree with those other people's views. They're just views. Right. And that's kind of what I, for right or wrong, better or worse, whatever someone else's opinion about it is, that's what shapes how I think about my company and the people in it and what I want for them and what I want for myself and, and what I want for the world. And I think that like Twitter is like the worst place for all this kind of stuff because like I still can't get over a time when I said something on Twitter and somebody who I respect came at me because they got triggered with their own construct and, and illusion. I would say, of what I was saying. And it was like, wait, like, I actually am fine with you having an opinion. I'm okay if you have a different one than I do. What really bugs me is when you're aggressive about it and you try to come at me as if, like, I'm this person or I'm this bad thing when it's like, well, wait, hold on. I express my opinion. You're expressing yours, but you're expressing it in a way that makes me not want to talk to you, engage with you, and I want to block you because, like, it's not fruitful. It's not the energy I want. By the way, you also got it grossly wrong. And I don't want to dig into your fight. So I've, I've like muted, blocked, like just got rid of people, so to speak, from my timeline because I had no choice. Because the way that the lack of acceptance of other people's opinions and views is not acceptable to me. And I don't want people around me, even remotely close, that are going to have that sense of righteousness with what they believe to the point where they're infecting everybody with it and causing people to themselves be triggered and have to get defensive and things like that. And like, yeah, I'm open to them. I'm open to their ideas. I'm open to their concepts, no problem. But the way that they share them and how much they push on other people, those ideas, those concepts, those opinions, it's disappointing to me. It's like, wait, you can have them, but I can have mine too. What's the problem here? That's even the issue with MailChimp I have, right? And in the discussion we had earlier, it's like, why is it my business? Why is it your business? Why is it anyone's business? Why does it matter? And if it is your business, please, by all means, go after it. But if it's not, then what are we doing? We should be happy. We should be ecstatic. Like, not just for those people, but for us in tech. This is a big, big deal. That's my thought. 
you know the phrase where people say like, oh, in a hundred years, the generations will look back and think we were barbaric for eating meat, right? Like you've you've heard that phrase at some point. And I know you're you're a vegetarian as well, so it works out. But it's one of those things where like some of the stuff I always fear, like, oh, like, am I gonna be like the person who was anti-gay marriage in 2002 you know like and now is like kind of embarrassed by that i wasn't like that but like it, you know am i going to be embarrassed by like my view now in like five ten years and and then i kind of get to the end of that thought and i go that's okay like it's okay i think on some level because that means you're evolving obviously and maturing because you're kind of embarrassed that you like thought one thing and the things changes and it's like having some sensitivity to making a decision right now, but also being open to like things changing. And I think that that's so important and that we need to give some grace for like past views, right? Obviously there's certain circumstance where people go way out of their way to like think they know everything and say this person is terrible or something like that. Um, like, you know, I think anti-gay folks in 2002, like, you know, went, didn't go like, yeah, I don't know, but not for me. They were like, these people are the devil, blah, 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 which is like terrible, right? But yeah, some of those things I fear. And and I just just personally, like not really with the company. It's just it's just a personal thing. The other thing I thought of that's kind of funny on this is you know those like gotcha TV interviews they do for like evening shows or, or late night shows where it's like, do you know who this is? And it's like a picture of the Secretary of State, and they're like, I don't know, Barack Obama. Like they don't know at all. I mean, it's like laughs and funny. I actually originally was like, yeah, it's so it's so, so funny and sad how like someone doesn't know like this important person. Now I'm hopeful about that because now I'm like, oh, all this like FUD on Twitter is like the masses do not care or do not know about these things. They're just like living their lives and trying to do their best and all this other stuff. And they're not bothering themselves with stupid, hypothetical, distracting conversations and stuff like that. So yeah, that's just an interesting thought. I mean, that's that's it, right? Like, are you, what are you distracting yourself with? And it even goes back to like the original thing we talked about and we can kind of put a bookend on it, which is like, Patrick, what are you distracting yourself with by worrying about all these tweets yeah. that are out there? No, you're right. <laughs> right? Like, no, you're yo, totally right. What, right? What are you tweets, distracting yourself more, with? Yeah, and, but yeah, I got you. And yeah. what are you distracting yourself from? And once you figure that out, you can not have to be in that space, right? I think though that this also goes back to like how I think through problems though. For some reason, I, I agree. Like, I need 100%. this anxiety to like, not nah, dude, to like wear at hundred, me. Hundred, 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 hundred percent. This is like exactly literally, like I, I know, am. like next yep. week when we film, I'm gonna be like, hey man, I just like discovered some dope. I stayed up two nights in a row, but like here's here's this cool thing, which is not healthy, but like it gets the result. It's a good, it's a balance. It's a balance. I'll give myself the balance. I gotta go because I gotta start driving in a van across the country tomorrow, and Jenny's gonna murder me and my bedtime is technically right now so you should go number one that's crazy yeah is she coming with you or no is she coming with you or no no so for those of you don't know i have committed to living in it's a van but i'm calling it a mobile marketing vehicle it's got a podcast studio in the back mmv okay yeah so that's actually what old school event people call these like traveling my mom who like worked her way from an assembly line to like being a, a event marketer basically she would handle the mobile marketing vehicle which is literally like a little office that is set up to pitch people and they go into the parking lots of the companies and she's selling, it was Wago. They sell like electronic equipment, like it's a, you know, B2B company. It's wild. Anyways, so I'm in a mobile marketing vehicle, which is a camper van that has a podcast studio in the back. And I leave tomorrow 
to go to Dallas because there's a conference on Monday or Tuesday starting. When you're driving alone and you're just going to go. So Steve, one of our media guys, is coming with me. So we're going to share driving and like take footage and stuff and do some good content. He is deathly allergic to peanuts. And during this podcast recording, he texted me that the mole sauce that he had probably had peanuts in it. So he's not like at the EpiPen stage. He's getting some Benadryl, but he'll be fine. Okay, good. Okay. No, driving to Dallas, then driving from Dallas to San Francisco for Saster. And then like we're going to decide where the roadshow goes next. So yeah. Sick. So Jenny's not coming with, but what we're going to do is like, depending on like the swings, she'll like fly out and like, we'll hang out and do all that kind of stuff for a while. Like, for example, if we're like, oh, we're in Austin, cool. And I have like four days, we're not doing anything. I might just like fly home and leave the van and go back. So not true fully camper van, but that's okay. This stuff's hard in this day and age, and it's it's cool that you're doing it. I, I was I'm like, excited. okay, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. Can't wait for the footage and everything. Yeah. I'm excited to like go to the obvious places, but then to go to like so these guys like company cam, they're a profitable customer. They're they're in like Omaha, right? And no one gives any love to Omaha. And I don't know if you saw my tweet where I went through like the logic behind this marketing experiment. There's a lot more like data that went into this decisions around stuff. We can talk about that next time. Sounds great. From the van. From the van. All right, homie. Anything else? Peace out. No, I'm good. All right, so we got to recap, or Ben will yell at us. We talked about founder scaries and insecurity driving results versus dopamine driving results. We talked about MailChimp and how the conversation around what they should do does not matter. We talked about hypotheticals and making sure your team's not distracted, but also when to proactively red team. We talked about how to handle people who are more proactive with their thinking versus reactive with their thinking. And then we talked about, we brought full circle and talked about it's okay for people to have opinions. And if you have a differing opinion, you don't need to be aggressive with it. Anything else? No. Deuces. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 